And welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have a great author and scholar and academic and, uh, you know, all of those things which make her mentally smarter than I. And we're going to have a great conversation about all the things uh, that she's doing, particularly about one of my favorite people in the world, but the book of James. Uh, how are you doing, Valerie Babb? I am doing fine, Bakari. It is a pleasure to meet and speak with you. Oh, it's an honor. It is an honor. So my show is unique because we ask all of our guests the same first question. Um, and we like our guests to walk us through the arc of their career. And you've had a storied career as both an author and an academic. Walk us through your career arc and talk to us about your focus of your scholarship at Emory. Well, I am the proud product of public education. So I always hold that deep to my heart. And I think I kind of stumbled into this profession a little bit through a love of reading and a love of talking about books. So I wasn't on track to be your traditional academic. I really didn't even know that was a feel, but I did like reading. I did like talking to people about books. And then the minute I discovered African-American literature and content, it was all done. So much made sense to me and I felt I had to share this. So that's essentially how I got into education. And I have been at three very different universities. I started my career at Georgetown University, um, received tenure and promotion there, then went to the University of Georgia, which is a very different Southern public institution. And finally, now I am at Emory. So I've had the benefit of doing this from a variety of perspectives. And I love, I love, love, love Emory University. I have uh, a bunch of stories about taking the martyr to Emory. And they <laughs> had this amazing thing called a phone party at some of the frat houses where everybody just parties and phone. We didn't have that at Morehouse, but I, I, I love, love um, Talk to me. What, what, what is the focus of your scholarship while you're at Emory and these other institutions? My focus is on African-American studies broadly and particularly about how race impacts just about everything we do in the United States, sadly. So a lot of my work doesn't just look at African-Americans and how they are race, but also at white Americans, because I think the idea of a white race, even though in many ways it's a kind of a fallacy, is what influences so much of our discourse, so much of our policy, and that needs greater addressing. So really now I am concentrating on how we understand what it means to be, quote unquote, white in the United States and how that impacts on so many other experiences. Let's talk about the book of James. And for my listeners, it is about LeBron James, who I will argue up and down is the greatest basketball player of all time. Oh, you got no argument for me there. <laughs> but, uh, but notably, this isn't a book about basketball per se. Um, but about the, quote, power, politics and passion, um, end quote, of LeBron James. Why, why LeBron James and why this approach to his life? Well, if he is one of your favorite people, you know how he allows us to understand so much of our world. I don't know a bigger cultural magnet than LeBron James. In the same survey, this is the most loved athlete in the world and the most hated athlete in the world. And we can pretty much figure out why he's loved. You see him on court, you see him interviewing the personality, the style, the skill, the precision. Why he's hated is really a schooling on how race is understood in the United States, how blackness is understood in the United States, and how we're not as far along the road as we think we are. 
I mean, that's powerful. That is what he is. And sometimes I don't, I mean, I get the basketball hate, but the shut up and dribble, I don't necessarily understand. But what makes LeBron James different politically from other black contemporary celebrities at this time, in your view? I'm glad you put the word contemporary in there, because I think that is the difference. We can see the similarities to past athletes who have had political activism. What makes him different is that he's dealing on a completely different plane. He is an activist in an era when an activist can be a billionaire. That's kind of counterintuitive to our cultural history. He is a Black activist in an era where Blackness may be everywhere, but Black people are not. So he can teach us about what it means to have Black people removed from being a presence, but having their cultural product used, appropriated, and all of that. So that's why he is so fascinating to me, just all the ways he can school us on what life in this country is really like. And, and talk to me about kind of the generational differences, because you went through this kind of Mount Rushmore of um, athletic activism. I, don't, I just made that word up. Um, but you had, um, you had uh, Lou Alcindor, you had Jim Brown, um, you had Muhammad Ali, and who was the fourth person in that legend? Oh, uh, Bill Russell in mm-hmm. that legendary picture. And you went from that to the era of Charles, Mike, and, and, um, and Magic. And now you're having this era of new athletes. How, how does LeBron James fit in that pantheon of history? He is kind of the bridge. I would even say he's the bridge between those three generations that you have mentioned. In some ways, he's a kind of metaphorical bridge to Ali and past athletes in terms of his constantly putting Blackness in a place of prominence and constantly demonstrating an unapologetic Blackness. But then he's also a real bridge between, let's say, the era of Michael Jordan and contemporary athletes who are younger than him. LeBron James is that athlete that had the benefit of what happened when athletics really become a consumer thing. So he's had all the riches from that, but he still has the cultural memory of what it's like to be a Black athlete and what that signifies. So I think there he kind of models an example that can be useful for future generations of athletes who may have his economic advantage, but still will be viewed as Black athletes. And if they try to step outside of that field, still will meet comments like, shut up and dribble. <laughs> yes, they will, which he does not uh, respond kindly to, to say uh, <laughs> right. the least. In fact, I think it just makes him do uh, that much more. Um, who's the audience for this book? That is a funny question because, um, The audience is a mixed audience. It is certainly for people who enjoy sports, but more for people who enjoy the narrative of sports. And that's where I think it also reaches to people who are not in sports. Even if you are not a sports fan, I don't think there's any way you can look at LeBron James and not see him as signifying on so much more than sports. Yeah, he's a basketball player, but even in his Nike commercials, the Book of Dimes, for example, he brings in the Black church, he brings in the basketball court. In What Should I Do? He brings in Maya Angelou's poetry and does this whole kind of hipster thing. So I think that there are elements of LeBron James that really do illustrate what it means to be Black in contemporary America. How do you adjust racism when your challenges are explicit, but they're also implicit? They're also the microaggressions of being modern 
and Black in the United States. And that's where I think he gives us insight that past athletes may not have given us. So anyone who is interested in Black culture, anyone who is interested in why the United States is still stuck in the racial swamp that it is stuck in will like this book. Yeah, I, I think that's probably an accurate way to put it. This book is for everybody who has Who's not intellectually dishonest? I believe that's probably yeah. Right. That's a very nice way of putting it. How did this? How did writing this book change you, if at all? It made me more aware of how I need to look more closely at what is right in front of me. A basketball game is never just a basketball game, although it's a lot of fun when it is. A football game is just not a football game. There are so many political angles and attitudes that are being incorporated into our athletic performances of all levels. You know, flyovers, military flyovers are a political statement at a game. So I think that athletics become a huge theater for us and we can project our desires, we can project our fears, and ultimately looking at these athletes will have some understanding. And I think that's how I have changed looking at what someone like LeBron James grew up in, went through, what he has accomplished, has really given me an appreciation of Black excellence, in a sense. I like that. I mean, I I, I don't, I mean, I, we oftentimes don't give people their flowers while they're living. And I'm glad that we're taking this. What did you learn about LeBron that you didn't know that? The immensity of his intellect. I think about how people always use the term basketball IQ to describe him and how good he is. There was that wonderful description where um, he's playing a game against the Toronto Raptors. And I think it's Patrick Patterson goes into the wrong place for his defensive position. And LeBron James tells him, no, Patrick, you were standing in the wrong place. You need to go over there by DeMar Rosen because you're going to go pin for him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of smarts that he has on the basketball court, court excuse me, is everywhere in his repertoire. I was thinking if he hadn't or let's say he hadn't become an athlete. Let's say he decided to go and get his MBA. What would he have done with that degree? Oh, perhaps create Spring Hill Entertainment or perhaps become a billionaire, which he has already done even without the paperwork. Oh, let's say he had gone into education and decided to get a master's or a PhD in education. What might he have done? Oh, maybe build the I Promise School, which he has done without the paperwork of a degree. So it's like any. Thing he touches, he can figure out how to make it work, not for himself per se, but for other people around him. Carmelo Anthony had this great phrase where he calls him lab baby, because mm. even his best friends don't know what that quality is, that thing that makes him special. They can analyze him up and down the court, know every motivation behind every move. But when they talk about what is it that makes LeBron special, that's where they're like the rest of us, in a sense. They become fans talking about him. Lab baby. Did Lab you a, baby. <laughs> did you get a chance to interview him directly? Not yet. Not yet. I am hoping we have reached out. So and we haven't heard no. So I'm hoping. <laughs> there you go. I, I think that's necessary. What inspired his political activism? Because he's, you know, his background is not one that that you would think says he's going to be the next well-known activist? I think it's how he grew up. And I think 
at the heart of political activism is caring about the world and wanting to make it better for everybody. Growing up the way he did in Akron, under the circumstances he did, where no day was promised to him, he didn't even know if his mother would be coming home daily to be with him. The one person in the world he could count on, he could love, all of that, I think, made him different, made him special, made him able to be an activist because it comes from the best motivation knowing what circumstances are like, but then also knowing how you can go beyond those particular circumstances. And I love what James Baldwin says about people who grow up in neighborhoods like LeBron's. Once you're used to overcoming the day-to-day things you have to overcome, you stop fearing them. And then you start thinking about what can I do now? And I think that really is what makes him special um, and also very meaningful to our time because his experience is so similar to the experiences of many younger people. Your other books were about the history of black novels, Black Georgetown, and you've done incredible work in my home state around uh, the Gullah Geechee culture, which is just <laughs> fascinating in its own right. Yeah. So how much different did you have to approach writing about LeBron James and your other subjects? In terms of Understanding and research, not much different. The big challenge was how do I translate that? How do I talk to someone who could care less about the pill, point spreads and all of that? How do I show how important this person is and why they should think about them, why they should know about what LeBron James is actually doing? So translating his his importance was the more difficult challenge to me. Um, I approach him Culturally, I approach him historically, and my country has given me a lot in terms of how to understand Blackness and its culture and its history. So that part wasn't uh, the more difficult part. It was also the more revealing part, how much of our histories are embodied in him. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's great. And for those who don't know about the Gullah Geechee culture, we talk about it a lot on the show. It'll get get you some learning. Uh, so for the next LeBron, if there is one, what do you think the LeBron James School of Politics tells us about how the next phenom can both succeed on the court while also having a significant impact um, off the court? I think that he will be very much a manual for younger athletes. Um, and I say that because he's also established organizations within which people can work. All of the work that he has done through the LeBron James Family Foundation, his work with More Than a Vote, those are structures, those are institutions that I think make it easier for the next generation of athletes to be able to use their platforms if they so desire. I mean, the other question would be, do athletes have to do this? LeBron would certainly answer yes. I would certainly answer yes, even though I'm not an athlete of that stature. But I think it is important for people who have been given platforms to use their platforms for the greater good. And I think he's given us a model as to the many ways that you can do that. I mean, this book was, it's timely, it's important. It's something that we should all read. There are a lot of young athletes, not just basketball players, but young athletes and not just black ones who need to read this book. Let me ask you this question, if you can answer it. What else are you working on? What's next for you? What is next for me is actually a novel. And I won't go into the details, but it might have something to do with a presidential assassination in the 1960s and what was going on in Black life at that time. I think that one of the most amazing things is that um, you're channeling your inner Stacey Abrams down there. 
Uh, hey, man, I sell the way she does. <laughs> yeah, the most important question of the entire interview is how can people buy your book? It is available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, just about anywhere. You can go to the direct link at Hachette Press and get it there as well. And go to my webpage. You will see it there, too. None other than Valerie Babb. Thank you so much for joining the Bukhari Sales Podcast. Book of James, out now? Out now. Please go pick it up about my favorite basketball player in the history of the world, but even a better man, husband, father. Uh, thank you so much for taking time with us. It has been my pleasure. And yeah. I hope to see you on St. Helena someday. I will, yeah, I love St. Helena. So, yes, you were definitely welcome to me down there. Okay, great. Thank you. Sounds wonderful. Bye-bye. <laughs>